Greg Pallast is one of America's leading and most provocative investigative journalists. He grew up in the San Fernando Valley, but has moved much further afield. His work has appeared in The Guardian, on the BBC, and Rolling Stone. For the past 20 years, he's made a career following the trail of corruption and trickery endemic, it seems, to every American presidential election. And his books, available online in audio format, include The Best Democracy Money Can Buy and How Trump Stole 2020. The latter title is, he explains, a warning, not a prediction. The KCSB got to talk to him in the waning days of this presidential election. We began by discussing the elevation earlier in the week of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court and what that could mean in determining the result of the election. Well, she could pick our president. Uh, here's one thing that's not known. Um, we, there's nothing in the, in the American Constitution which guarantees you a right to vote. The president, according to Article 2 of the Constitution, and I know that everyone has that memorized, not the Second Amendment, not the thing where you get to wander around with your pop guns and, and Nazi insignia on your face. Uh, I'm talking about the second article, which says that it's up to <coughs> excuse me, state legislatures to pick the electors that pick our president. We, we don't really have a democracy. We have kind of a a mockery of democracy in America when on um, these things. And so, yeah, I mean, your vote is kind of advisory. So what happens is um, the, the legislatures could pick the president. They could simply certify a president or you could have something called the, are you ready for this? The um, Electoral Count Act of 1887, never been used, but if there's a dispute, that's what determines who gets what electoral votes. That goes to the US Supreme Court and with Amy COVID Barrett, you've got yourself now six right-wing justices. Uh, um, Justice Roberts, the chief, may decide to keep his uh, robes clean and not participate in picking our president for us against the will of voters. But so I, I'm counting on on, uh, on the new justice or injustice to uh, to make a choice we won't be necessarily happy with. Palast worries about her adherence to the legal principle of originalism, the orthodoxy that demands a literal adherence to the original language of the constitution promoted by the late Justice Antonin Scalia, for whom she clerked. He also reminds us that she was down in Florida in the year 2000 as part of a Republican delegation that eventually succeeded in stopping the vote count, leading to the case going to the Supreme Court and the eventual selection of George W. Bush as president. She was down there, as was Brett Kavanaugh, as was Justice Roberts. So you had three of the current Supreme Court members who were lawyers for the Republican Party, lawyers who argued to the US Supreme Court that despite the obvious win by Al Gore, not only nationwide, but the obvious win of Al Gore in Florida, ignore that. We're going to um, uh, we're going to pick George Bush as your president. At the time, Catherine Harris was Florida's Secretary of State. It was she who stopped the vote, leaving George W. Bush with a statistical majority in that state of 547 votes. It emerged later was the fact that in Florida, actually 178,000 votes had previously both been purged or disallowed. These were primarily black and Latino votes, votes, and included 
a lot of votes from servicemen serving overseas. Secretaries of State, as well as county registrars of voters, run elections in America. These are party officials who may well make decisions with their party in mind. Conflict of interest is an ever-present danger. Catherine Harris of Florida is by no means unique. Greg Pallast also points to the current governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who was Secretary of State while running for governor of that state, Georgia, against Democrat Stacey Abrams two years ago. This is a most notorious example of conflict of interest. But Republicans don't have a monopoly in this area. Pallas has harsh words, for example, for California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, who he says purged about a million independent voters who wanted to vote in the Democratic primary and breaking primarily for Bernie Sanders last March. Alex Padilla sent out three million ballots in the primary without Bernie Sanders' name on them. Three million ballots without Bernie Sanders' name on them. Now, what is this about? Well, in, in California, just below the Democratic Party, the second party is not Republican. It's NPP, no party preference, people who say that they're independent. However, over 80% of the people who register as independent say they vote Democratic and want to vote in the Democratic primary, which is their right, which is their right under state law and Democratic Party rules in California. But Alex B is very sharp. He sends out a ballot without to these NPP voters, and they were voting more than two to one for Bernie Sanders, more than two to one. And he leaves Bernie Sanders' name off the ballot. So what you have to do is you have to send your ballot back in. You had to send your ballot back in, get a new ballot, say, I want to have a crossover Democratic Party ballot. How many people know that? So to vote in a primary, maybe not of your party in California, you must apply. And these are the special words for a crossover ballot. I asked what were the most common ways in which party officials might rule that an eligible voter be struck off the voter rolls? The answer in a single word is purge. There are in fact a number of ways to invalidate individual voters. It's not all that hard to discover alleged proof that someone no longer lives where they say they live. Greg Pallast in How Trump Stole 2020 offers a particularly shocking example from the state of Georgia. But first, he states that since 2018, the year Democrats took over the House in midterm elections, there's been a marked increase in enrollments in the Republican Party. How can that be, given the drop in the popularity of the Republican Party? Palestine Co.'s research reveals that Republican-controlled states have systematically purged targeted groups, leaning heavily Democratic, largely young and Black voters, from the voter rolls. In the two years leading up to the current election, 1.7 million voters nationwide have been removed from the voter rolls. The numbers come from the respected Election Assistance Commission and the Brennan Center in Washington. This explains the larger Republican registration numbers compared to the Democratic. And again, the majority of those purged are young and or Black. Our dirty little secret, we don't let everyone vote. So in this case, I start out in uh, what they were doing is purging. And what they're doing 
is purging voters from the voter rolls. You have an unusual situation, which you, you know that you have now more Republicans registered than four years ago in America and fewer Democrats. So did people switch the Republican Party? Not at all. They were removed, according to the Elections Assistance Commission, which is a um, government agency and the Brennan Center. 16.7 million people were purged from the voter rolls in the two years leading to this election. And in particular, this is what he found in Atlanta, Georgia. And you will see me, you'll see a, a young woman in tears, crying her eyes out because her grandmother was just thrown out of the voting station in Atlanta, Georgia. Why? Because they said that she wasn't no longer on the voter rolls. This was going to be this woman's, her name is Christine Jordan, was going to be her 50th year of voting at the same polling station. And we turned out that Mrs. Jordan hadn't moved anywhere and either had uh, a couple hundred thousand people in Georgia. And so Mrs. Jordan, by the way, is Martin Luther King's cousin. I went back to the house that they said that she moved out of. And there she was. There's pictures on the wall, Martin Luther King. She says, Daddy King was my uncle. They went there. They uh, ate at her home after church. Martin Luther King Jr. and family. Um, every Sunday afternoon. And this is the woman that they threw off the voter rolls. For those voters who sadly may have left registering to vote until the last minute, as of last Friday, when we talked, Palace warns it's too late to mail in the ballot, and it remains so this morning. But you can still vote safely at your local polling station, because in California, you can in fact register to vote on the day of the vote itself, November the 3rd. And these polling stations are certainly accessible. This week, the Supreme Court handed down two judgments on vote counting in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, which were quite interesting. Both states had ruled that mail ballots arriving and postmarked by election day should still be counted. Republican parties in both states challenged that ruling, which went to the Supreme Court by a 5-3 margin. The court allowed vote counting in Pennsylvania to continue for three extra days following the election day. And in the case of North Carolina, the count can continue for eight days. But Palace, of course, cautions against complacency in that the court also rejected a very similar request from Wisconsin, which is another crucial swing state, which Trump won by a mere 22,000 votes four years ago. It wouldn't take much in a determined effort to suppress the Democratic vote by way of challenging signatures and the way the ballot, a ballot may be filled out to hand him a victory there on November the 3rd. I finally asked Greg Palast if he worried about the possibility of violence on election day and after. It's not to be casually dismissed when the president urges his most volatile followers to stand as so-called poll watchers. Palast is not too worried about violent clashes actually at the polls on November the 3rd. His experience tells him that black voters are not easily intimidated and show infinite patience when the voting lines are insufferably long. But he does fear another sort of violence against the process itself, i.e. the slowing down of the count in many states and even the stopping of that count at a certain point. Don't worry about election day. They're not gonna intimidate voters on election day. Um, I've been in lines with African-American voters on Souls to the Polls Day waiting five hours in the freezing parking lot in Dayton to vote. And they're not gonna be turned around. They're not gonna be intimidated. I'm not worried about voter intimidation, voter intimidation. 
I'm worried about a repeat of 2000. Vote counter intimidation. Basically going into the polling stations and stopping the count of the mail-in votes. Where there may be a dispute at the poll level, the decision would then go to state legislatures who in their turn, as in 2000s, could send the ultimate decision to the reconstituted Supreme Court with its now Trump-appointed majority. Whichever way you vote, therefore, we hope the process went smoothly for you in this county without unnecessary hassles and that Tuesday and the aftermath passes peacefully as it should. This is Harry Lawton reporting.